All right, episode number two about to begin. Very excited about this one. As uh, great to have Corey Cherko close by on his tour with Shania Twain. He had a day off uh, in Toronto, so I zipped up there and we did the interview. We chatted for a couple of hours, and I think you'll get a lot from this one. Even the housekeeping came in in the middle of our interview, so th- make sure you check that out. That was a good spot in the in the podcast. All right, let's get this thing going. <laughs> All right, we're here with uh, Corey Cherko and a uh, friend from a long time ago. And uh, it's great that he took time off his touring schedule to uh, do this podcast. Thank you, Corey. No worries. Good and to be here, Darren. Thank you. And for those of you who don't know, Corey's now currently on tour with Shania Twain and is the uh, guitar player, fiddle player, multi-instrumentalist, and I guess you're the music director, right? Yes. Yeah, which is awesome. And uh, we go back a long ways. So I figured that a good, maybe a good place to start is uh, the beginning. Why not? Moose Jaw. Were you born in Moose Jaw? I was born in the Jaw. Were you? Yes. So how long did you live there? I mean... So I lived in Moose Jaw for about 18, uh, 17 years officially. But of course, when I was 12, I started going on the road with the family band. Yeah. So I was in and out of Moose Jaw on the road playing, you know, week-long stays, each club. So, like myself, we grew up playing in a family band. So, who all played in the in your band, in your family band? Uh, my dad yeah. played guitar, piano, accordion when we needed that. Uh, mom played bass. Yeah. Uh, that seems like a mom thing to do, right? Yeah. A lot of moms play. Because moms are the anchors of the families, right? Yeah, they lay it down. They lay it down. <laughs> <laughs> And Kevin, my brother, played drums. Yeah. And Kim played keyboards and would bust out the flute whenever we'd do some, uh, uh, who's, who's, the, who's the guys that did Heard It In A Love Song? Oh, yeah. Marshall Tucker Band. UMass, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, did you have any other brothers and sisters? Well, we we also traveled with my two younger brothers, and yeah. but they were too young to be in the band. And they would come up on the Saturday matinees and do like Hang Down Your Head Tom Dooley or something. Yeah, yeah. And then they'd just go back, leave the bar. Because, of course, we did most of our work in Ontario, where you're from. Yeah. Uh, you could play underage in those clubs. Yeah. And then you had to leave when you weren't on stage. So that's the kind of primarily places that you, you hit most of the time. Was it, you played a lot of bars and different things. But what, what else did you do besides that? Did you, was it kind of that's where the focus was? Yeah, you know, we started doing the, the weddings and yeah. the... Um, Christmas parties, that sort of thing. Did you do many dances? Um, well. We did. I don't know. What, what do you <laughs> mean was, by dances? Like community, go to the hall and nine, mm. nine to one and people danced all night long. No, and, not no. really. It was just weddings. Yeah. Mostly weddings. Yeah. And then when we got to be a certain age, um, I, because my dad was a music teacher in the schools, he actually quit his job at the school system and took us all on the road. Oh, that's cool. And we... Um, you know, did all our schooling on the road with us. Yeah. And that was the start of the, you know, the, really the woodshedding years for us as kids Yeah, to learn about playing great and copying great tones and learning from other musicians that you met along the way, such as yourself. And it was a, and, and this, the scene was so great. I mean, you don't get that anymore. No. So, you know, but, but 
on the other side of things, people now can use YouTube as the way to learn stuff. And that's a great tool. Yeah, was, we had to do it in person, you know, back in the day. Yeah, and there's something about that. Uh, on the first podcast, I was talking to Jim Witter about this because he's got young kids that are playing and he doesn't have, they don't have anyone to perform with. Mm. Like when we're young, I knew lots of kids that had, you know, little groups they played together or they had friends that played instruments and they would get together and perform. And it's hard to find that now because the yeah. kids don't do that. Oh, exactly, um, yeah. At least around here, uh, it's well, tough to find. There's not really any place, not a lot of places to play. You know, well, that's to, the thing too, but not even get together in no, the garage true. or in the basement and right. jam out some songs. And I mean, part of it, I was thinking that, well, maybe some of it's just the fact that the new music nowadays, a lot of it's hard just to, how do you, how do you get together with the four guys and, and copy most of the music that's popular yeah, now? You can, that's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, you can't even hear guitar in modern pop mixes these days. I mean, the country stuff is still good for that. And a lot of uh, all those old rock musicians have now gone to the country scene because yeah. it's still that sort of vibe. But yeah, I mean, uh, musicians are getting laid off left and right because, and, you know, artists just go with tracks. Look at Sia. I went to a Sia concert and she's fantastic. I love her. But she didn't have one musician on stage. Oh, wow. And her, her herself, she stood um, off stage with a spotlight on her. And didn't move the whole night, and the rest of the show was just dancers. And I didn't feel like I was uh, ripped off because I still enjoyed it, but it was a whole different thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's different. I mean, that's it's the norm now, right? But mm -hmm. uh, it, you don't see very many bands now just go up and just let it rip, you no, know, and exactly. jam and play. And I like that. I went to yeah. see Keith Urban a couple of nights ago, and uh, even for him, um, tons of tracks, right? Um, which no issue with, but it felt, you could tell they felt constricted. Mm -hmm. Like I, I could see it. Like mm -hmm. you could tell that, you know, they wanted to just let her rip for another bar or two or another, you know, taking the round of solos, but you can't. Nope. Because you're locked in. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it felt different than mm -hmm. any other time I've seen him before. And that you could tell they were, they were all still trying to feel it out a little right. bit. But it yeah, was still great, sure. but it was, it was different. Right. So back to Moose Jaw. Right. Uh, at what point did the family band thing, uh, obviously at some point it kind of just moved on and you guys went different well, different things, but what, what made that? My brother and I always were like, you know, we want to get out of the family band and start our own thing, right? Yeah. Break more into a rock sort of scene and that. Uh, and my mom and dad said, yeah, that's fine. Great. But you have to wait till you're finished your high school. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. So we toured with the family until we were done our grade 12. Yeah. And at, in, in my grade 12, because I was still doing it on the road at the time, I was not interested in doing any schoolwork at all. Yeah. So consequently, I would get like the bass player in the band who replaced my mom at a certain point. I get him to do lessons for me. His name's Shane Hendrickson, actually. Yeah. He plays with I know Aaron, Aaron Prochette. Yeah. Oh. He would be doing my uh, social studies courses for me just so <laughs> that i could have more time for music yeah i'd say well you gotta help me with this and my brother would be doing like algebra because i was terrible at it and wow. and uh, i just managed to to get through that I, I always had good grades but i just was clearly not interested in school i was kind of the same way is that right like i got to 12 and i remember leaving the last day of school 
and not wanting to see anybody again. Almost. <laughs> it was almost like that. I, I was, they're all friends, but I was ready to move on. Everyone was going to college or university or whatever they were doing. And I got a gig in a studio and that's, you know, that's where I was heading. Right. And I knew exactly, you know, probably exactly the same as you. Mm -hmm. You knew exactly what you wanted to do. Totally. And School was in the way. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's interesting when people ask about post-secondary education because I know a lot of people are very, you know, very strict at, you know, and I think for a lot of people, yeah. But then there's a lot of people, it's not needed. Right. They know what they, especially if it's something very artsy or music oriented or um, you can just go right at it. And that's the best thing, especially at that age too. That's the age where you really, really learn. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just whatever uh, it is you have your sights set on. I mean, Billy Joel got, a, I think, a grade eight education and he did just fine. You know? Yeah. Uh, a lot of, a lot of learning in jobs these days comes on the job. Yeah. So if you have an idea what you want to do, you just get in there as an intern or whatever, and you just learn to learn on the spot. You know, save yourself a lot of money. But of course, there are things like being a doctor or a dentist where you have to go to school. Or if you don't know what you want to do, it's, school is a great way to sort of meet people and sort of find out. Yeah. Maybe, or you could waste your money doing that too. <laughs> yeah, very true. I think what happens too is that when we're younger, because you are constantly having to learn stuff, right? You're teaching yourself. Mm -hmm that do you find that just never ends you always find yourself trying to teach yourself more and more and more and more you just don't hit that plateau and you know i think a lot of people get in a job and they just every day is the same or whatever and they have no desire to push themselves further yeah but i find myself and i'm sure you're exactly the same you constantly want to learn okay how does this program work how can i make how can i get a better guitar sound how can i make this rig it's already good how can I make it better for the next time around or all, you know, everything like that. I find yep. that you constantly are learning and wanting to learn all the time. I think that comes right back from when you're kids and having to learn how to do that. Well, and it also comes from having an interest in something so much that you have to learn everything there is about it Yeah. and knowing exactly what you want to do. It's, it's so easy to do it because it's fun. Yeah. You know, learning, you know, you could just spend your whole life, pursuing the best guitar tone and never get bored yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and you and never achieve it because of course every guitar player thinks the other guy's tone is way better than yours so exactly you're always chasing that yeah it's like a snared achievable yeah. thing yeah exactly so it's pretty cool that your parents were all you know excited for you to branch out on your own and do your thing and um you know i think that that doesn't always happen as no. well either so they were always very supportive um mm -hmm. Of course, my dad didn't really want to see the end of the Churchill family band yeah. because, you know, he gave up a lot to put us out on the road and sort of go after his dreams and stuff. So, um, but we were too short-sighted to see that as kids and we just, you know, had to do what we wanted to do with yeah. our lives as well. And we had a lot of great years in the family and you wouldn't trade it for a thing. And we, you know, it's the reason why my brother and I, you know, achieve so much in the music industry now is that educating education being on the road and learning all that stuff and learning about harmonies and becoming valuable in so many different areas not just learning one thing um so everything you know we can attribute to that yeah you really tune your ear at a young age and that's what i found too when you're you're young and learning and with the family group too like you said you have to learn harmonies mm -hmm. and difficult harmonies and now it just 
man, it, it is pop out. You don't have to think about it anymore. Um, and all right. those things that you had to work on when you're super young, that really is a big foundation to absolutely when you're doing something much bigger and much later. Yep. So yep. where did you go from, where, where, where did you move from there? Where did you go on from there? So after the band broke up, the family band, uh, my brother and I moved to Vancouver. Yeah. And we, with goal, our goal was to start an original prog rock band kind of so to speak it was right in the at the end of the 80s when uh you know the glam metal scene was kind of coming to a peak or maybe it already peaked by that point yeah um and we wanted to get in and be a part of that so we started a band called the explorers yeah and uh it was great a very creative time in our lives um but of course everyone knows you don't make a lot of money in original music so we had to fund it the best way we knew how, and that was to do another cover band, yeah. which was the Underground Outlaws. And the Underground Outlaws was a country band, and we played all the country clubs that everyone does in the BC circuit, and we go into Alberta as well. Uh, and that would fund the Explorers. So who was Kevin um, yeah. and yourself? Was it Shane that was Shane in? Hendrickson? Yeah, so the three was the was the three piece, right? Or was it a four um, piece? Well, we started out that way, and we needed yeah. a keyboard player, so we actually got uh, Ross Nick of Fork, yeah. who was a keyboard player from um, Saskatchewan, uh, that we met playing with an artist named Carson Cole. Yeah. That's another story. I'll tell you about that maybe in a bit. Um, and then what happened was Ross got snapped up by uh, the Northern Pikes. Oh, okay, yeah. So then again, we were three-piece. We needed another uh, keyboard player. And we came across this guy named Mike Norman. And remember Mike very well. Mike was in, was incredible. Yeah. Just a uh, human jukebox. He knew every song, every chord, um, every lyric. And if he didn't know the lyric, he made you believe that he knew the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> the way he would <laughs> sing. And, um, and he passed away like, I think, f- five years ago or something like that. Yeah. Uh, from cancer, so we miss him dearly, and uh, so that that was the Explorers yeah. and the Underground Outlaws. So we we wore two hats. Do you same, ever same guys? Do you remember me sitting with, in with you guys a couple of times? Um, refresh my memory. Uh, I think it was once or twice. Well, we had a mutual friend, Jay Allen from yes. Notables. Yes, and I used to do a lot of work uh, with Jay on the tech end of things. He used to do a lot of corporate right. gigs and yes. different things, and we used to do a bunch of stuff together. So whenever I was out, I remember the first time, oh, I'm going to take you out. You got to see this band. And that's the first time I saw you guys, the Underground Outlaws, play. And I don't remember where it was. It was a country club somewhere. and uh, In Ontario or BC? No, in BC, in okay. Vancouver. Yep. Um, yeah, and I, I think it was once or twice uh, you guys had me up and I played a couple tunes. I can't remember what they were, but I remember. And you uh, played fiddle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would have played your fiddle. And, right. Um, it was probably the Boone, Boone County Club, I think it was. Could have been. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you guys were awesome. Thanks. Like I remember, you know, clearly. There's a couple of bands I remember. Uh, the Bobby Lalonde Band. Do you mm-hmm. ever remember Bobby Lalonde? He's I a, do, but I never, I never saw them. Yeah. Great. He's a great fiddle player. And yeah. yeah, he had these couple of great guitar players with him. I always used to go see them. And they were like the, for me, that was the thing when I was younger, but mm-hmm. I remember going to my teens and then seeing you guys. I was like, yeah, these guys are really, really good. Thank so you. yeah, I remember that quite well. Yeah. So the Explorers, we, we, we recorded an album. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually won a, a national band wars competition sponsored by Labatt blue. And, um, 
part of the prize was to go over to Japan and play at the Budokan for the International Band Wars competition, which we didn't win, but that was a lot of fun. Um, and because we were playing so much as the Underground Outlaws, we had fans as a country band too. Yeah. And so we felt obligated to record a country record. Yeah. Which we recorded around the same time as the Rock Explorers record. So we had these two albums out with two different names, two different genres of music. And we toured at the same time with them. Yeah. <laughs> so could you do like one night, one group or one night or do exactly. whatever you want? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. We'd never combine the, the, the two, no. two bands. Unless it was just, you know, some somebody came to an underground, underground outlaw gig and and wanted to hear an Explorer tune, we'd break it out. But yeah. we typically kept them very separate. We wanted them to be very separate. But I think the country album did better than the, the rock album, which was our focus. Yeah. <laughs> the problem with the Explorers was um, we came in right at the start of grunge. Oh, yeah. So we were too late. Yeah. And uh, we didn't have much to offer the grunge sort of scene. Um, you know, because the grunge was, was a very much a lifestyle and an attitude and we didn't fit that at all. So, yeah. uh, the band kind of broke up when all that sort of happened. Um, and we just sort of went our different ways. So what made you go to Vancouver in the first place? Why didn't you go to Toronto or was That's there... a good question. Um, and I can't even remember why. Yeah. I think it was just that it's closer, I, I, at right? least yeah. I can speak for myself the geography of BC appealed more to me than yeah. the whole Ontario thing. It's just beautiful there. And, um, the ocean, I don't know. I really yeah. don't know, to be honest. Maybe it was closer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little it, bit closer. Yeah, definitely is. Yeah. Probably felt more comfortable to go there. Though. Yeah. We certainly had played a lot in Ontario, so we knew the scene. Yeah. I mean, I've been all over in Ontario. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason. Oh, I know what it was. I know what it was now. That's the story I was, said I would tell you later. Yeah. So right before Churko family broke up, we weren't, we weren't called Churko family. We just called Churko. Yeah. Exclamation point. Churko. <laughs> <laughs> I still have it written on one of my guitars. <laughs> so, um, just before the band broke up, I got a call out of nowhere from this manager who works with Larry Wanagas, mm -hmm. who was managing Katie Lang at the time. And he said that he heard about me through something and wanted to get me in his guitar player for this new artist that Larry was managing named Carson Cole. I think he's in, Carson's still in Ontario somewhere. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Big time manager, uh, I'm in. So that's what took me, because they were based in Vancouver. And I, I said, well, you guys looking for the rest of the band too? Or, and they said, yeah. I said, well, why don't I bring Kevin and Shane along? Because we play together already. The core of the band is there, you know, yeah. it's done deal if it's okay with you guys. And, and they agreed to that. So the three of us went out and started playing with this artist, Carson Cole. Yeah. And that's why we went to uh, BC. Excellent. Oh, it makes sense. Yeah. There was a reason I knew it. I just couldn't put it together. Yeah. It's <laughs> a long time ago now. Yeah. Uh, so once you guys, the underground outlaws and all that dissipated there, what would you find yourself doing then? So then, uh, I didn't have a job. I was like, what, what do I do now for a guy who's only known how to play in, in clubs, yeah. in bars? Um, and I decided to put myself back through computer, through school as a computer animator. Oh, yeah. Because I had interest in computers and whatnot. 
And I decided in order to do that, I would become a, I would make money be, being a street musician. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I remember the first day that I went down to Granville Island Market in Vancouver and I put up my guitar case for the first time, opened it up and, or actually it was my fiddle case. Yeah. Um, and I, and I wasn't really a fiddler at that point. You have to understand I played fiddle, but it was only like the orange blossom special really bad. And I waited till everybody was drunk in the night to bring it out. <laughs> so they'd all go crazy anyway, whether you were good or, or not. Yeah. Um, but my wife at, was working at Shoppers Drug Mart and she asked me if I would come play for the seniors day that they were having coming up. Yeah. So I actually learned like nine old time fiddle tunes to play for them. Oh, yeah. And that was the start of my repertoire for my street musician days. Yeah. So I took those same nine songs and went on the street, opened my case, scrambled on the market. And uh, I remember when I got my first coins thrown in there uh, and, and I felt like I was really at the bottom of everything. I'm yeah. here. I am begging for money essentially, or, or so I saw it cause I didn't know what a, what a cool scene, the busker scene actually can be. Yeah. But uh, by the end of the morning, I had 50 bucks. That's cool. And I thought, well, this is great. If I can do this every time, um, I can still pay rent and put myself through school. Yeah. And so I did that for four years. I wow. was a street entertainer. I learned where the best spots were to make the money. And um, I auditioned for the BC Transit. And they would give you a permit. You could go anywhere right. along the SkyTrain or the C-Bus terminals. Yeah. And... Um, you had a certain amount of time per, per spot that you could do. But if a busker didn't show up for his scheduled time, you could then sit in on his spot. Oh, nice. And there were a lot of musicians that really didn't make much money at it and didn't come, didn't, they didn't show up. So I would, I would, you know, work, work their scheduled time zone. And, um, I got to know a lot of the, the C bus terminal guys and made friends with them. And, um, I would strategic, strategically place myself right at the entryway to, the C bus. So as people were getting on the C bus, um, they had to wait yeah. because they couldn't go any farther. There was there was water, and the back door, you know. So it was a captive audience. Yeah, it wasn't like they were throwing. Um, I call it charity money as you walk by, and you don't really hear the the musician. Yeah, I, I could actually play like two or three songs. Yeah, and then the doors would open into the C bus, and then they would give me their donations, and it was fantastic. So was that still uh, fiddle? Or were you that was fiddle. Yeah. I broke out the guitar later on, and I had backing tracks. I had my yeah. like a MIDI com, uh, a MIDI keyboard that I that I actually won as part of the prize for the Band Wars competition. Yeah, that had a like a workstation built on it, so I could you know have drum tracks and a keyboard and a bass, and that's really all. They were really terrible uh, tracks. Yeah, but that was kind of the start of my programming as well. <laughs> so that must have been good practice for your, your fiddle chops. I, well, yeah, I had no idea what was to come. Yeah. You know, the programming, the fiddle, the singing, all that stuff, the, just being the, the front man entertainer. Um, I learned so much in that time. I didn't know where it was going. I thought it was just to provide a means to uh, getting a job as a computer animator, which, which I did. Yeah. After, the, uh, after the, I finished the course and graduated, I got a job immediately at uh, Mainframe, which, which was uh, they were doing a, um, a couple of animated shows for kids one was beast wars transformers oh yeah and one was reboot yeah 
I don't know if you remember Reboot, the blue skin people, and they lived inside a computer. And I think I remember that. Yeah, so this company did that, and I got a job right away. And this, I thought, this is awesome. A lot of the same creativity that was in music, I was also using, but in a visual sense, yeah. you know, in the animation and modeling worlds. Um, so uh, there I was in a new job. Thought I was turning my back on music, just having it as a hobby. I joined a... Um, a band called Midlife Crisis with a bunch of insurance salesmen <laughs> and actually started having fun in music again, just playing yeah. it as a hobby. Because I, I was really jaded playing the bars. Yeah. All people wanted to do was hear old-time rock and roll, Sweet Home Alabama, and they were, you know, smoky environments, drunk assholes. Yeah. And I was getting, you know, mic stands, bumped into my face as these guys would come up to the stage to yeah. <laughs> hey play old time rock and roll a thunk yeah you know? know and uh i was just really jaded i didn't want wasn't having fun at all anymore i couldn't see the point of it yeah but then you know i got with these insurance salesmen and all we did was laugh and play tunes that we liked and played for cub scouts uh you know benefits and mm -hmm. uh i uh, just saw one of those guys last night actually at a gig and uh awesome yeah so you know, got back into music sort of as a hobby, but it was working in a different field. It was on an entirely new path. Yeah, that's, that's a 360, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then, out of nowhere, once again, I got uh, a call from this guy who said he worked for Mercury Records. And uh, it was actually on the answering machine. I was at work when it came in. He said to call because he got, got my name. Somebody recommended me for an artist that he's working with. And... Only people I knew on Mercury Records were Dwayne Steele and Shania Twain. Yeah. And I loved Dwayne, mm -hmm. but I knew if I if it was for him that I'd be getting back into the same environment that I was just that I just got out of. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not that I wasn't interested in playing with him, it's it's that I just didn't want to get back to that lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't call back. I didn't even return the call. Oh no way. <laughs> I just and, and I just it's not that I didn't call it, I just kind of forgot about it. It wasn't priority. Yeah. But a few days later, I got this call from the same guy again. He said, Look, I was a bit discreet about who it is, but it's for Shania Twain. You should really give me a call. And I called him right back immediately. Yeah. It was after hours in Toronto time, left the message, and I said, Yeah, I'd like to hear more about this. <laughs> no kidding. So this would have been after she's had what maybe three or four yeah so the uh woman and me yeah. had come and gone who's bad if your boots been on her yeah all that yeah. stuff woman and me um um out of here all those songs yeah. she never toured on the first on that first album with mott lang um and this was the come on over record that she was about to do promo for yeah yeah she did just a couple i did two dates with her Oh, okay. I did. With, uh, for her, the first album? Yeah. Okay. I did the Rita McNeil show. Okay. Um, I was the kind of fiddle call, f number one kind of call guy for nice. any fiddle stuff at that time. And uh, what else? Oh, the CCMA Awards in Hamilton. Oh, okay, good. And that was, they kind of came within two or three months of each other, I think. One okay. came from the other one, and that was... That that was uh, that was it, but that was. I remember. I th was the woman in me out, or was it? Yes, because uh, I remember okay. on the Rita McNeil show, it was a medley of two or three songs, and "Whose Bed Have Your Boots Been Under" was one of the songs. 
Um, I can't remember if we did the ballad or not, but um, I remember it was a medley. I think we did the same thing on both mm. both shows. But okay, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that was yeah. It was just one of those you know fill in type right. things, right? right? I still remember. I, I tell the story every once in a while. It was on the on the Rita show. It was Rita's band. You remember that show at all? I do. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, because um, it was. It was a strange, I always found it a strange show. She's, she was fantastic. I always loved Rita, mm. but they had such weird guests, you know, it would be like, hi, welcome to our show. I'd like to now have <laughs> on the Smashing Pumpkins. You know, it would be like, it just felt so weird seeing her introduce some right. of these bizarre acts from what she's, mm. you know, her type of music. Right. And uh, I remember getting a call, uh, we're doing a nice spot. They need a fiddle player. I said, great, that'd be fun. And on the set, the band was way back. I mean, it didn't look mm. like it was very far on TV, but it was like, it felt like 50 feet back mm. from the artist. And we all got together and walked up and, and uh, Shania and the producers were all front. We'd say, we'd run the song. And uh, everyone in the band thought, well, maybe, maybe for once we might be able to, move forward or at least the artist would come back and perform with the band and uh everyone was like yeah this would be really great i think it's going to happen with this one so we ran the song once and then you know producers all gather around again and and uh they turn around and they say hey darren go what come up here <laughs> and i was like See you later, boys. <laughs> so they took me up. I I went like within I don't know. I I played within a few feet of 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 Shania, and and we did you know three or four takes of that. And the band never talked to me for like <laughs> two or three days. There was like that. That's it. I was done. But right, it was funny. It's they they really wanted to think that, and I was the one, the outsider who comes in every yeah. once in a while to play with an artist, and I was the one that got called up. So it was nice. funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well. The her music was so fiddle heavy. And oh, it, it was so much of it. She I mean, loves to have their, her musicians around her to, yeah. you know, take the solos and whatever. You got to be there. You got you to be shown, right? Yeah, yeah. So you got the call and you... Uh... Yes. Okay, so got the call. Uh, the guy called me back the next day and said, yeah, so, you know, we had a couple of people recommend you and Shania's looking for a young energetic fiddler. Your name came up. Um... I'm sure you have a CD and a bot and an eight by 10, you know, that you can send us. I said, Oh yeah, for sure. I didn't because I'd yeah. been out of that sort of things for so long. So I literally went that same day to a photographer, got a one-off eight by 10, yeah. sent him that one-off uh, in the mail with a CD of my fiddling that I kind of had. Cause I used to sell CDs yeah. when I would busk on the street. Yeah. And cassettes. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Actually, my first, when I said I had backing tracks, my first backing tracks were were cassette-based. Wow. So I'd have to do, you remember the, the auto search on the yeah. on the cassette players? And it would stop it when there was this... Blank area. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it took a long time. Someone would say, hey, yeah, play uh, Devil Went Down to Georgia. I'd have to go, hang on a second. <laughs> That's great. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, so I sent off a CD and uh, my eight by 10. And then, you know, went back to work as usual. Didn't think more about it. And then two weeks later, uh, I got a call from the tour manager and he said, ah, oh, this is uh, so-and-so. And, um, Mutt and, Mutt and, and Shania have reviewed your package and really like what, what they heard and would, was wondering if you would come and play in the David Letterman show as an audition. No way. 
That's awesome. <laughs> and I was like, what? And literally, like, I think, I think they sent me the music a week later. I was in the middle of Times Square. My head was spinning. At, you know, I, I, it was so surreal. Oh, yeah. And I was with all these world-class musicians rehearsing to go play the David Letterman the, the next day. Yeah. And uh, I remember, I, you know, I didn't know where this was going to lead but I already knew that I'd made it in the business just if I could do this one thing. Yeah. That would be enough for me. I could go back to animation and I would have a story to tell. Yeah. You know? And I remember Mutt Lang was in the, um, in the dressing room area and I needed to get a picture with him, you know, and with Shania. And I didn't realize how secretive and reclusive he was in the media yeah. sense. You know, he never gets his picture taken, never agrees to it. And the management just about, you know, they just about tackle me like, no, no, uh, no. They're like, oh crap, what is this little kid doing? You know, asking Mutt Lang for a photo. Yeah. And Mutt says, oh yeah, for sure. No problem. Awesome. <laughs> Got my picture with him. I didn't think twice about it until I learned later, you know, yeah. that uh, that he shuns from all that stuff. He likes his anonymity. And, yeah. Um, well, I probably realized it came from a real innocent place. Right? I guess so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then, I, you know, of course I got my photo with, with Shania that I that I showed her recently. It's like this is the first day that we met, you know. That's awesome. This big grin on my face, and she goes, "Oh, you're so cute." <laughs> the, the, I sent you that picture of two of us, right? Did I, or did I show no, you that one? No, I'll I didn't show see you it. that one. Oh, cool. I found I found this recently too. I had it at eight by ten. It's from the CCMA Awards, and it's like I popped up up on Instagram the other day, and. uh it, it's funny because my hair, <laughs> it's like, I can't believe we, you know. You we, had the mullet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't think believe. I remember seeing this. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's it's. Yeah, you had crazy. a sweet mullet. Oh, yeah, it was gigantic. But. Uh, what year was that? I was trying to figure that out. Had, did I have Bon Jovi hair then? Uh, or did I have a mullet too? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't, I can't find it. Anyways, okay. we'll get back to that. No one yeah, can, you had no a super mullet. Yeah, that was pretty sweet. You yeah. should you should submit that to the mullet website. <laughs> is there a mullet website? <laughs> of course there is. Oh great! I'll look that up tonight. It's a website for everything. Perfect. Yeah. So after the Letterman show, uh, what happened after that? Um, so then I went. Uh, they said that um, after that, Shania was going to look at all the musicians that she's played with it to that point. Yeah. Uh, review any video footage of other TV performances. And they'd get back to me on um, who she picks. Yeah. So I wasn't really expecting any more than that. Like I said, I had the story to tell. I played on David Letterman. A nice way to cap off a life of music. You know? Oh, yeah. Or my life until that point. <laughs> I was still yeah. only in my mid-20s or whatever. Went back to work and, you know, everybody was like, yeah, we saw you. That was great. We love that move where you did that. You know, because <laughs> none of my friends at computer, you know, at my office job. Yeah knew me as a musician so oh, yeah. it was totally weird for them to see me in that so did aspect. she have in for the letterman was her, her complete band it wasn't part of letterman's band at all was it or is no it, it was no. all her band all her band yeah good yeah and i just went back to work and um probably another couple weeks later that's when i got the call that said look you're not in the band yet yeah. But you've made it to the, it was always about making it next to the next, next rung of the ladder. Oh, wow. You made it to the next rung. Don't quit your job yet. Yeah. But we would like to get you out to start rehearsing for her tour. Yeah. Well, when I went to the 
the bot, my boss at work, and I said that you know I have this opportunity. Uh, they had to let me go. They couldn't just let me have a you know a leave of absence. Yeah. Because that industry at the time was so secretive. It's the tech industry. They didn't want the chance that I would be out there giving secrets away. Oh, really? Um, so they had to let me go. You know. So I was terminated. So what type of secrets in that industry would they be worried about? Uh, proprietary software, software, like how to render uh, facial yeah. expressions. Oh, yeah. How to, the, the, the animation to make facial movements you know, yeah. for characters to talk. All that stuff was very secretive because they had proprietary software ah. that they didn't want getting out or, yeah. you know, someone, me going to work for another company and yeah, yeah. and telling them secrets of, well, at mainframe, they do this or that. Yeah. So that's that's what they were worried about. It was just their policy. Yeah, yeah. Even if they didn't think that, obviously they knew I wasn't going to do any of that. They knew it was just a different sort of opportunity. Yeah. So, uh, but they still had to do it. So, and I had to take the gamble. I mean, when, it, when was I going to get a chance like this again? Oh, yeah. So uh, they terminated me. I went to upstate New York where uh, Shania was living at the time yeah. and proceeded with three months of rehearsals Wow! with these other musicians. Some of them were from the David Letterman show and some were new. Yeah. And some of them, some of the positions weren't even filled yet. We were auditioning people as we were rehearsing. Yeah. The last person to be uh, uh, auditioned and found was uh, one of the other guitar players at the time. And... We uh, so there was a constant revolving door of these uh, these guitar players coming into audition with us, and uh, we just had this joke like if if we knew right away the guy wasn't going to work, we'd say "Uh, leave the leave the taxi running. (laughs) So what was it that not made them work? Well, okay, so a lot of them came in and were were fantastic. So we we go through the song, and it was usually man, I feel like a woman. Yeah, we go through the song, we get it. Okay, now let's call Mud in. So Mutt would come in and walk down these stairs into the rehearsal room, and, yeah. and basically these people would fall apart. Oh, yeah. You know, because they get so nervous. Like, yeah. okay, here it is. One of the greatest, greatest producers of all time is going to be watching only me yeah. in this moment. And, you know, to get... And the Man I Feel Like a Woman guitar part isn't hard. It's... But it has a, has a groove, right? Yeah. And, and a technique with the fingers. You can't just pick it or anything like that. Yeah. So we just wanted to make sure that was covered. And so that was the song that, that most of them auditioned to. And, you know, you could just tell that some of them weren't, um, you know, in the pocket. Yeah. Or they just fall or, apart. Yeah, and I get nervous about it. Yeah. One guy, you know, we asked, well, can you sing too? And he goes, oh, yeah, fucking sing. Or I can, I, he, he said, we said, can you sing high? And he goes, oh, yeah, fucking high. And he goes, oh, <laughs> <laughs> he, did, he literally did that. And, and then another guy said, you know, man, I'm just here to have fun. And he stuck a guitar pick, licked a guitar pick and stuck it to his forehead. Oh, no way. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so it was pretty fun. And, and then still the right guitar player couldn't be found. And then um, the bass player that was in the band at the time was an Australian. And he had a friend in Australia. And it was getting so close to the, t- the touring time that we're like, okay, we got to get this figured out. Yeah. So Mutt actually called this guy in Australia who was driving a car. You got to understand this guy in Australia is like the biggest ACDC band ever. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. And he called Randall Waller was his name it, uh, as he was driving down the, the, the highway. Yeah. And Hey, uh, Randall, this is a uh, Mutt Lang calling and, um, uh, just, I got your name from Andy Sashon and was wondering if we could do an audition over the phone right now. 
That's crazy. And and he's in his car, right? Yeah. And he's, oh, he's like, mate, I'm in my car right now, you know. Uh, uh, that's all right. We just really want to know if you can sing and do some stuff. So can we do a little singing together on, wow. <laughs> on the phone? And uh, they proceeded to do this, this little vocal audition over the phone. And yeah. the guy was good enough. And uh, they flew him over. And we had already finished the band rehearsals. And he had to stay. He's way behind on learning all the songs. Yeah. Um, while the rest of us went home, he actually had to learn all that stuff on his own. Stayed, yeah. stayed there and woodshedded there. Wow. That's but yeah, cool. I mean, stories like that. It was, it was really an amazing time. We thought we'd never get to... Uh, play a show because it was three months of rehearsals and it's the weirdest thing that you couldn't find a guitar player i really? mean exactly right because that's everyone plays mm-hmm. guitar and drummer that was a hard oh, one to fulfill it's always hard to uh, find but drummer. in the beginning they wanted a drummer who could sing and of oh, course yeah. um, even if a drummer can sing uh their pocket might will probably slide a little bit when they do start to sing yeah and that that's what happened and mud of course had such an year for time yeah that so many of the drummers would just you know, they'd make it through a couple of songs and be like, yeah, thanks for coming. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then finally, when, when the drummer didn't need to sing, then we found uh, a guy, J.D. Blair was, mm-hmm. a, was the guy. And I remember Mutt saying uh, after his audition, he said like, so um, J.D., uh, tell me, uh, when did you realize that you were good? <laughs> <laughs> and coming from my Lang, that uh, was an incredible compliment. Oh, yeah. Because a lot of the time, you should have said uh, now. Yeah, right. <laughs> a lot of the time, he would, you know, the best compliment you would get would be like, "Well, that wasn't too shabby." You yeah. Know? <laughs> but he actually said, "You know, when did you realize you were really good?" Wow. Yeah, that's a big compliment. Yeah, for sure. So then that was the the start of the touring band, and yeah. um, luckily, every one of us that you know started the rehearsal period made it into the touring band, but yeah. it was a long time, you know, the, the rehearsal period was three months. Nobody would do anything like play catch with a football or Frisbee because we were all too worried about spraining a finger and jeopardizing oh, yeah. the chance to do this tour. Yeah. So everybody was very conservative of what, what they would do. And So how long after rehearsing did you actually get into tour mode? We went right from rehearsing. Right. We did some promo stuff, some TV stuff mm-hmm. uh, during the rehearsal period. Um, to promote the singles at the time. Yeah. But pretty much we went straight into um, touring because it, we rehearsed at their place in upstate New York. And then the first gig was uh, in Lake Placid. That's actually where we did production rehearsals and we did a free yeah. concert for all the Lake Placid um, people that lived there, the locals. And then from there we started the tour. Now, when you, was it that tour that you rehearsed at Cops as well? Or is that? Was that the second? No, that was the second, second tour. One. That was okay. the up tour. Okay, yeah, because that's the one I popped out. Okay, right. To see uh, the the preview the day before or whatever it was. It was like, oh, okay. there was like forty of us that were. So we did it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So what was that first show like? Well, I'd never done something that big before. Yeah. And I remember when the lights first went out and we were standing backstage and the crowd went nuts. I had such an adrenaline rush that my knees actually started shaking. Like I felt like my, my legs would buckle under me, but because we had three months of rehearsals, it was all second nature at that point. Yeah. So we went out and totally nailed it. Good. It's still different actually doing the show than rehearsing, isn't it? It, I mean, it is, you know, 
you feel really super comfortable, mm-hmm. but there's still that edge of, I know this part, but right. you know, you're well, always the element a of the honest. audience is different too, because now you have someone to put on a show for. Yeah. So whereas you could concentrate on a particular part and give it all your attention, but now you're, you have to do it jumping up and down because someone is, wants to be entertained, you know? Yeah. So it adds a whole, or there's a spotlight in your eyes and now you can't see your fretboard anymore. Yeah. So there's definitely, you know, we try to, you know, simulate all that in the pre-production rehearsals and, you know, every band does, but you're right. It's, it is completely different when there's an audience there. Yeah. So did you, uh, on that tour, was there much choreography involved and, and all that, uh, that kind of stuff kind of come later? There's the, never the- been any real choreography, only stage blocking. Okay. Yeah. So all the shows were very much like a rock show where you could kind of do whatever you wanted, but you had to do it in this area. Yeah. Like there couldn't, there had to be balance on the stage at all times. Yeah. You don't want people running into one another. This this tour, however, um, there's dancers. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's a whole different thing. Um, and I actually make a cameo as a dancer in in this particular tour, (laughs) which is a first for me. And I actually, you know, pressed hard against doing it because I didn't feel comfortable doing it. But luckily it's not really a dance. It's more like just synchronized marching. Oh yeah. Yeah. While singing. So I'm okay with that. And yeah, uh, yeah, so it's fine. It's, it's fine. A new check mark for the resume. Yeah. That's what I said. I I think I even posted on my Instagram. It's like Mm -hmm. now I can officially say I'm a dancer and a background singer and here's the (laughs) proof. (laughs) And it's me coming downstairs in a, in some kind of a robe with the rest of the dancers. So what was it like? Like, how long was that tour, the first tour? Do you remember? It went quite long. It was like off and on. I think we were doing a month on, 10 days off for about two years. Yeah. So that's a long time. Yeah. We went to, you know, the English speaking world. Yeah. All over the place. Yeah. So what was it like the first time being on a tour bus and doing that whole thing? Was that really strange and awkward or did you? Everything was absolutely, you know, first time for me. So it was fun. Um, I had to learn. You can only do liquids in the bathroom on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> Unless it's an emergency. Well, and, and even it, then. No, even then. They yeah. call it brown bag in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too much information. And I've heard stories of people that have had to brown bag it until yeah. the driver could stop somewhere. <laughs> Why, well, I know. That's the thing, right? Yeah. So that time, did you... Uh, was it the whole band on the bus or how was that? Uh, how did yeah. you guys travel? Yeah, the whole band was on the bus. I think there was like nine of us or something like that. Yeah. Um, it was it was a fairly big tour though. Yeah. You know, all her tours have been quite big. Yeah, they'd be all really yeah. huge. And then how long did that last for? That You said, what, a couple of years, A couple right? years, yeah. So then you had a break after that? What? Then I had a break. And, and um, in that time, uh, while I was on the tour, I decided to apply for a green card. Because yeah. the Australian bass player had done it and gotten one. Yeah. And um, I didn't think that I would be eligible because this was kind of my first kick at the can as far as big gigs go. Yeah. But I convinced my wife, who didn't really want to move to the States, that, well, let's just see what happens. Yeah. Um, probably nothing will happen, but at least we can apply and maybe, you know, who knows. So uh, I applied, got, a, got the same lawyer, I think, is. Or no, I got some lawyer, but anyway, she had never lost a case before. Oh, yeah. She wouldn't take on a case if it wasn't a strong case. And she, she thought that I, she said, can you get letters from people mm-hmm. uh, that are celebrities or famous, notary people? I said, yes. 
she said, can you uh, supply video content or articles about how awesome you are, you know, from your past? And I said, yeah, yeah. there's a few from like the Moose Jaw Times Herald yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I can dig up. Um, she, she gave me this big list of things and uh, I said, yeah, I'll do it. And it took me about a, a year to get everything together. And, um, and I was approved to get this green card. That's really good. Yep. And, uh, and so in order to keep a green card valid, you have to live um, six months and a day out of the year uh, in the States. Yeah. So then I had to think, well, am I going to move out of Vancouver and move somewhere like LA or Nashville or somewhere? Or am I just going to move over the border from Vancouver so I'm still close to Vancouver and all my friends, but I'm actually living in yeah. Bellingham, Washington or something like that. Yeah. And we chose to drive down to LA and see how it would go. Um, the tour had finished by this point already, so I didn't have any work. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know anybody down there. The only people I knew were the Shania people and we were taking a break. You know, there was no tour. There's yeah. not even a promise of any more tours yeah. or any more work from that point. So. It, we were quite scared, we, we, but we drove down to L.A., and we didn't have anything set up, no apartment, nothing, and I remember we pulled off the, the 101 freeway at Hollywood Boulevard. Hey, we're here. We're at Hollywood Boulevard. We're in Hollywood. Let's pull off here. Yeah. And of course, and it was the middle of the night, and anybody that's been in, in that area, it's, it's pretty shady, like lots yeah. of drugs, lots of prostitutes, that sort of thing, and we pulled off the road, and we're like, what the hell did we do? Yeah. You know, we left beautiful Vancouver for, for what? <laughs> we don't even have anything here. Um, and we had a, a dog with us and no hotels would take dogs. Oh, no. So um, we pretty much had to smuggle our dog in, tell him we didn't have a dog. We just put a sheet over her and, yeah. and take her. She doesn't bark or anything. So um, that's kind of what we did for the first week um, until we found an apartment, yeah. of course. Apartments don't take dogs either, we found out. Oh, yeah. Uh, unless they're really lousy apartments. And that's what we lived in for the first year of being in LA. Didn't have a job. Yeah. Um, but I had met Mike Shipley on the road. Mike Shipley yeah. was Mike, uh, was Mutt Lang's right-hand man during the Def Leppard days. Yeah. He did all the Shania Twain stuff with him as, as Mutt's mix engineer. And I'd met him on the road. And he said, oh, whenever you come, he's Australian. Whenever I come to, uh, to uh, LA, give me a... Give me a shout and uh, be good to see you, mate. Yeah. And so I did and uh, called him up. I said, hey, uh, Mike, it's Corey from Shania's Band. And I'm in town. If you need any help, I'd love to help you out. I'm doing pretty good at Pro Tools now. And um, he said, oh, no, no, I'm good, mate. But um, thanks for calling and uh, I'll keep you in mind. And hung up the phone and like three hours later, he said, hey, can you be here in like 30 minutes? No way. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah. So I went there. He was working on a recall of a Aerosmith mix. Yeah. And he asked me if I could set it up for him uh, on Pro Tools. Oh, wow. And he, he was mixing on an SSL console at the time. Yeah. So I did. I set it up with the assistant engineer of the studio. And it just it went very well. And we started a relationship. And I the whole time that, that Shania was, um, was down, um, you know, uh, working on the music and you know it took it took them about two years to to come up with up yeah um i was working with mike shipley that's awesome and as it you know listening to one of the greatest mix engineers ever yeah. uh and doing all his editing and drum samples and um just being in the room with him moving stuff around timing wise 
And uh, I learned so much just being with him. Yeah. And of course, on Pro Tools as well. And I made a lot of mistakes. I'm not going to lie, but it, you know that's how you learn, right? Oh, yeah. So that's kind of how I got into my whole Pro Tools thing. And the reason why I knew Pro Tools was because my brother had, had given me... Um, you know, some lessons, some tutorials on it, because that's what he was doing up in Regina. Yeah. Um, so I had a little bit of that, but, uh, you know, not a whole lot of experience on SCSI drives and all these stuff that, that you had to know about. You know, I knew yeah. how to, the tools that you need to edit, and um, but th- it goes way beyond that when you're working in a professional studio, and it was a crash course for me to work with Mike, for sure. And Pro Tools was way different back. I mean, that oh, was... Oh, my God. It's, it's funny how... Back then, Pro Tools was there wasn't anything that would work with it, right? It was no, it was it was a standalone. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah, it was you're either that or you were doing something else. Right now, you can just every format and you know, everybody's all, yeah. yeah, you just send send some audio files and you just lock them in and away totally, you go. Yeah. But back then, yeah, the, you can it was Pro Tools or nothing, right? So that's it was a good skill to learn. Yeah, so we slaved the Pro Tools unit to the SSL console, and he could actually press play and, and rewind for, fast forward from the console, the desk. Yeah. And, uh, so and I would just sit behind the pro tools rig and he'd say, Oh, Oh, do you hear that? That, that loop is out of time. Can you just do it? Can you time it for me? Yeah. And I would do it on the fly as he's mixing another instrument. Yeah. So I had to learn. So how would you be syncing back then with that like mini machine control? Or uh, it was Simpty. Simpty. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, I remember Simpty. Yep. And we still use Simpty, you know, in, in the concert even. Yeah. Uh, all the lights are simply to the main computer yeah. that we use. And all my, uh, I shouldn't say that, I actually we, all my uh, presets for my guitar patches are all computerized. They, we don't have to step on a single pedal the whole night. That's nice. We can be anywhere on the stage yeah. and all our patches change for us. Excellent. Yeah, it's amazing. That's the way to do it. Yeah, for sure. It's a lot of pre, pre-work. but It is a lot of pre-work, yeah. absolutely, but um, makes it all worth it in the end. Yeah. And it's rock solid. I mean, I unlock on this desk because uh you never want that stuff to go down and but it, it it's pretty pretty good i mean it probably goes down less well i'm gonna say for sure way less than a, a speaker would be blown on an amplifier or a tube would go down so yeah it's pretty cool yeah i think nowadays it's you know i think you know how to lock your machine into okay well this machine doesn't go online mm-hmm. this machine doesn't have anything else on it and it only does this. Right. And when it only does this, there's nothing to mess it up. It just, you know, only thing might have a drive go down or something. Right. I'm sure you guys have a run redundancy. Yes, we do. Total yeah. redundancy Absolutely, rig. Yeah. yeah. You'd if have one to, goes down, the other one, the kicks, other one in. kicks in automatically. And yeah. We don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. So. So then. Yeah. Up to up. Working with Mike Shipley. Yeah. So then we got called to go mix the up record. Yeah. Mike and I. So we flew to Switzerland and spent three months at Mutt's studio, in Shania's studio, working on the mixes for the up record. And many people will know the up record, there were three versions of the mixes. Yeah. There was a country version, a pop version, and the world version. I remember that now, yeah. Now, luckily, we had these uh, Indian guys from um, the UK working on the world version, but Mike and I had to mix the country and the pop version. So it was three months every single day working on what was there there was 19 songs in that record yeah so that's 38 songs you had to mix and do recalls for in a certain amount of time yeah uh and so that was very 
exhausting time. All right, bad. One that I wouldn't trade for anything, but one that I probably wouldn't do again. <laughs> so doing roughly the same type of thing. Doing exactly what Mike line. and I were doing. Yeah. Yep. Doing all the Pro Tools um, and working with Mike. Mike was pushing faders. I was adding effects and yeah. uh, doing automated EQs, that sort of thing on vocals. So how... Um how did that work with Mutt? Were you guys on your own for a while? Then you come and listen? We would and initially do the setup of the song, but yeah. Mutt was there pretty much the entire That's time. Right, yeah. He he really, he kind of, he, I mean, there's no question. He he is the mix engineer. We're the instruments. So um, he would be basically painting the picture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you, you know, guys. his ears are so in tune and uh, he would just sit back there and focus in on different things. And, and his attention to detail really honed my ears because I, like I said, I had to figure out which he meant and, yeah. and uh, which uh, frequency in the vocal is, is, is barking out in that particular syllable of the word, you know? Yeah. And we had to dip that, that frequency when that syllable would go by. So it might be uh, forget, my word might be forget and only four needed to be EQ'd. So I had to yeah. automate the EQ on four and leave get alone. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> So stuff like that. It was uh, it was a long process, but it was so educational, and you get rock solid out of that. Oh my god, it, yeah. yeah. And I don't do that. I mean, I do some of that to uh, that same degree on the mixes that I do now, but yeah. Um, I don't. I would never get anything done if I had to do it to that same degree because you know you don't have as not uh, as much time. Yeah, these days it's like people need things done in a day, oh, yeah. or they only have a budget for a day. So yeah. you have to do the best you can and learn. Try to apply what you can that you've learned, and um, you know, get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> so when when did uh, your brother Kevin get into the scene? There was that on that was not on that album, right? Was, so it wasn't that album. So while yeah. I was in L.A. cutting my teeth with with Mike, mm -hmm. my brother was in Switzerland working with Mutt as Mutt's programmer. Yeah while they were writing these songs. Okay. My brother was programming these songs and uh, programming over and over again in different keys when they realized the key was wrong or something or the tempo was, wasn't so right. Tell me the story, because I've kind of heard the story from a couple of people how he... How he got the job. He, how he got the job. Was it the so call in the middle near, of the night thing? Was that, is near, that accurate? Near the end, this is exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. Near the end of the uh, first tour, the Come On Over tour, yeah. um, I was sitting with uh, Shania in a, you know, just a casual setting. And she said, Corey, you know Pro Tools, right? And I said, um, you know, I don't really know Pro Tools because I didn't at the time. Yeah. I was working in the PC environment. I think I was using Logic and Cakewalk or something yeah. like that. I said, you know what? I wouldn't feel, I, I said, I'm, I'm good with computers. I'm good with recording techniques, but I'm not really up on Pro Tools. I would hate to go there and waste Mutt's time. Yeah. I said, but my brother Kevin is only doing that right now. He's been doing it for the last five years. And he's amazing. I mean, he this guy is a born engineer. We were recording multi tracks on cassette decks back in the in the late seventies. Yeah, you know. And they flew him over. He met uh, with Mutt, and that was it. They forged a relationship and spent the next two years together recording the up record. Wow. As well as other things like um, Celine Dion and Britney Spears and the Coors. Yeah. And during and. In the same conversation with, with Shania, I said, but you know, or actually it wasn't the same conversation. It was a subsequent one later on. I said, now that Kevin's got the gig, you know what would be awesome is if I came over with him and we tag team and we can do double the amount of work yeah. together. 
Um, you know, cause then I felt comfortable cause then Kevin would be able to at least show me how to do stuff if exactly. I had a question. Yeah. And they agreed to it. So I went out there and worked on some Britney Spears stuff, some, some of the core stuff and had Kevin as a resource to ask questions to. So I learned uh, a whole lot about Pro Tools in that, those moments in the editing, yeah. the vocal editings, the vocal timings, the tunings, auto-tune was just coming on the scene back in those days. Yeah. And um, so, so that also set me up for, uh oh, I think we're going to have a visitor. I'm good. Thank you. Okay. And you can put the, uh, the, the do not disturb sign on my door, please. Oh. I forgot to do it. Thanks a lot. Okay. I'm not going to edit that. Take care. <laughs> <laughs> that is staying and that's gold. Do you want to, uh, do you want to come and make an appearance on this podcast? No. No? Come say hi or something? Sure. Do you know anything about music? No. Do you know anything about music? Yes, of course. Which, who's your favorite singer? Um, Michael Bublé. Canadian. Yeah, it's all right. Or yeah, Michael Bublé. Adam Levine? Yeah. yeah. He's good looking yeah. too, right? Yes, he is. Yeah. <laughs> that always helps. Okay, Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks. See you later. <laughs> awesome. That was funny. Yeah. I knew I had a feeling that was going to happen. I saw this door start to shake and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> We're in my hotel room right now in case anybody's yes. wondering. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so the Chorus album, that was yeah. cool too. I love that group. Yeah, we did um, three songs yeah. when I was there. Um, leave me breathless. Oh, yeah. On, yeah, yeah. Go on. Yeah. We did that and. I forget the other two, but, uh, and then we did, um, the Britney Spears song on Oops, I did it again. Uh, I can't remember closing my eyes trying to think, but it was one of the ballads. It was a single yeah. on that record. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to help you on that. No, one. no. Okay. It doesn't matter anyway. I'm not able to pull those Britney, tracks out. Yeah. Britney Spears fans will know what I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. So I did that and, um, I, I think I, I spent about six weeks to a couple months helping them out. And then I had to go back for some reason. And that's when I started, or maybe I was, cause I was moving to LA. I can't remember, but yeah. um, then I started working with Mike. So I had all that, those resources to help me in my studio phase of, of, you know, my career. Yeah. And then after we finished the up record, mixing it, uh, then of course she had to go back into, you know, pr promo mode yeah. where she had to uh, promo, do the promo for the singles. And that's when I left Mike and started playing with her again yeah. for the up tour. So that was a big tour as well. Right? It was, yeah, it was huge. Yeah. yeah. So what, what was the difference between the first one and the second one? Or what was the big difference in your... Well, in your the time? second one was in the round. So that was mm -hmm. the first time I'd ever been in a stage in the center of the arena as opposed yeah. to on one end of the other. Um, so it was a completely different, you know, process. Um, but otherwise, I mean, we went to the same places, yeah. um, the same band. Were you involved more in that tour? Um, um, uh, I've still utility guys yeah. playing, um, a lot of guitar and fiddle and keyboards and yeah. mandolin, a lot of vocals. Um, you know, I should just say that the vocals that we did with that band were insane. A part of the three months of the original rehearsal period was just sitting in a room with, with Shania and Mutt going over the vocal parts, yeah, trying to to, to keep the our throat shape. I mean, Mutt said to me one time, he's like, 
you know why the the eagles are so good at their vocals? It's because they all have the same shape to their throats. Oh yeah. You know, one guy's going ah, one guy's going oh. You know, it's they're they're all similar. Yeah. And that's what we had to learn how to do, especially for the Australians, because they already talk funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, was to get that and and you know learn the the breathy mutt lang thing. Hey, you know that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Why? As opposed to hey, you know, which yeah is easy to do. But the little clip you put on. Uh well, it wasn't a little clip, but it was a cool clip you put on Instagram a little while ago when you were up top on oh, the yeah, last yeah, yeah. tour. And the greatest part about that was actually hearing you, the part you were singing. I was, I did, I had no idea that that mic would pick up my voice acoustically so so much yeah. in a loud arena like that. And I was like, holy crap, that's like, it was, that was not a simple part. No. You were just like here, then bam, you were up. Right. Yeah, it was all over. It's like, wow, like that's, yeah, that's not easy. Yeah, I, lear- I learned to sing high by watching Mutt and seeing what he does. And, you know, he kind of does a pinch. I call it the pinch. Yeah. And it's not falsetto and it's not chest. It's just like a pinch and it helps you get to the, the high notes a lot easier. And yeah, so that's what I was doing in that video for those really high parts. Yeah. And then going back to the, uh, uh, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. You know, yeah. the, the breathy sort of Mutt Lang thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool hearing that. If and anyone listening, if you haven't, go to Corey's Instagram page and scroll back a little ways, and you'll you'll see it's really it's it, that's what I found the most interesting part. First of all, it's like holy crap, you're really up there, you're really <laughs> high up on the <laughs> really. It was high. like wow, and all of a sudden, oh cool, that vocal part's really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we we all learned. I mean, it was like going to school and getting paid. Yeah, to that rehearsal time to, to learn all about you know, the singing and the parts and, and, you know, that's, that's the first place where I, where Mutt said to me, you know, Corey, you're, you're playing really, really well, but, uh, you know, you're just like 10 milliseconds too late. If we could just move everything about you 10 milliseconds a little bit later, then it would be just right. Oh, really? So yeah. I learned that I was rushing everything yeah. like most guitar players do, you yeah. know, and pocket is, is such a big thing. And, and, and then of course, working in the studio with him as a Pro Tools editor, I learned that it, that, that the releases of notes are as important to the starts of notes for pocket as well. You know? That makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't really think about it. No, that you don't way. think about it. Yeah. No. And, and I learned how to fix that in artists if yeah. they don't deliver that to help a vocal performance. As yeah, well. yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So I've, I've finished. I was a, how big did that tour? There's another couple was, of years. Yeah. I think it was maybe a little bit shorter, but yeah. Yeah. And then after up, I, you know, it was like, there's nothing. There was nothing. I was living in LA. I had bought a house. I still didn't know any more people because uh, it was still the Shanai people that I knew primarily. I didn't yeah. know any other camps outside of that. Um, so I was like, what am I going to do now? And for six months, I was having heart palpitations of yeah. anxiety, like I'm going to lose my house. I've got no work. Nothing is coming my way. What am I going to do? Well, so I started applying once again for traditional jobs like working at e- electronic arts as an animator yeah. on video games um or uh i applied at line six yeah. to be a, a product manager oh yeah i remember that was the the gig that was open yeah because they were down the street from where i was living and i thought maybe i maybe my music career's done again and i'm gonna be and i can work in somewhere where i can have medical benefits and a pension you know yeah 
So I applied for that. And the guy that was taking the applications was Canadian. And so we had a bit of a bond. And he said, unfortunately, you're not really qualified for this gig. Sorry about that. But I'll, you know, if I can do anything else to help you, I'll, I'll you know, pass your name on, that sort of thing. So yeah. I forget how long it was after that, that um, um, uh, Kelly Clarkson's management, I think, contacted me out of the blue. Yeah. And said that they got my number from the guy at line six. Oh, no way. When the guitar player went in and was talking to this guy, his name was Daryl Smith, yeah. and, and said, hey, Daryl, uh, Kelly wants to get two violinists for this next tour. Do you know any, any violinists? And he goes, well, yeah, I know a guy who just is playing or played with Shania, and he was just in looking for work. So I'm sure he'd be all about it. Wow. So um, the guitar player then re- recommended me to the music director, and the music director called me. And uh, then I I got on the uh, Kelly Clarkson tour. Isn't that awesome? As a violinist, once yeah. again, here I am as a guitar player primarily, but it's the fiddle that's getting me through the doors. Isn't that weird? It like really, the the two big things, it was the fiddle that got you, or really violin that got you in, yeah. And so when I was at my lowest point busking, you know, for spare change yeah. on the street, it was setting me up for you know preparing me for to be able to do these gigs yeah um you know now it's all clear but at the time i thought i was over and a has been but um so i got the gig with kelly and went on on her breakaway tour as a violinist i only played five or six songs as a violinist the rest of the night i stood on the side of the stage and just watched the band oh yeah um and then ironically that same guitar player that mentioned me to the line six guy uh, was going to be let go. Uh, like, the sh- two shows before the end of the tour. Oh, yeah. And it was too late to call in a guy to do auditions and get another guy in yeah. for two more songs. Or or actually, it was one more show. So the music director said, you know, Cora, you were playing, like, guitar on the Shania tour as well, right? And I said, yeah. He goes, do you think you can play guitar for the whole show? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, without batting an eye, I said, of course I can. Yeah. Although I was a little bit hesitant internally. I was like, oh shit, it's going to be a lot of work. But because I'd been standing on the side of the stage, I already know, knew the, the pace of the show. I knew the arrangements. Yeah. All I had to do was learn the parts. So I, I, I shed it for literally four or five hours learning these parts the day of the show. Wow. And <clears throat> I used the guitar player that was let go. I used his. You just, rig, rig? <laughs> <laughs> which I don't know if he knows or not, but now maybe he does after he mm-hmm. listens to this podcast, if he ever does. Yeah. He was a great guy, actually. Actually, he was the one that bef- befriended me first in the whole, whole organization. Yeah. Um, I used his rig and finished the show and Kelly's like, Oh my God, I'm going to call you turbo from now on. And, uh, and so the next tour I became, I wasn't the guitar player on the next tour. But I was utility guy. I played keys, you know, fiddle, yeah. <clears throat> guitar, and uh, and gradually I became, you know, one of her main guitar players. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, it, it's interesting. I was going to say when you watch a show or you're involved with a show, and you're not actually playing that instrument, and then you have to go into that instrument, it's not as easy as you think because you're not you know the songs mm-hmm. and you've heard the parts, but you haven't been listening as a guitar player. No. You've been listening as the violin player or right. whatever your part was. Yeah. It's there. It's, but I've, 
I've had that situation once before where I had to fit, fit, uh, sit in on a show that I was actually doing in front of house on and the bass player didn't show up and oh, wow. there was no bass player Uh-oh. and bass is not certainly one of my main instruments, but I can get by and I had to sit in and I think, okay, this, you know, I know all these songs, but I didn't know them as a bass player. Right. I knew them as the front of house guy and I knew, you know, what goes where, but I never really sat and listened to all the bass parts. Man, was that challenging? I was like, I bet. Yeah, I was, you know, I stood and had to go. It was fine. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I made some mistakes for sure. Um, it was all, uh, I think it was all, it was with Jim Witter. We were playing somewhere in North Carolina and his bass player got sick the day we were leaving. So we just left without him. Mm-hmm. And we drove, I think we drove there or flew, I can't remember what, but we finally got there and I was like, I said, what are we going to do? We have no bass player. Mm-hmm. And no one talked about it on the way there really. And then they said, well, you can do it. It's like, no, I can't. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you can do it. So they found a bass, some, you know, the sound company had a bass or something and they brought it and plugged in and I did the show. Awesome. And it was, I crapped my pants. I bet. Yeah. But it was fun. You've never played bass before? I've played bass. Yeah. Okay. But I've never, you know, it's not one of my main things, you know. Um, So I'm comfortable on it, but it's not something that's really super easy, you know. Country stuff, because, you know, it would have been no problem. Mm -hmm. But it was Beatles, and it oh, wasn't. Wow. Oh you know, my god! It was all Beatles music. Oh my god! Yeah, that so, would have been a tall order. Yeah, so it wasn't. None of none of it was natural for no. me. So you'd have to really, you know. Oh yeah. Actually, I think the rehearsal went better than the show. <laughs> the rehearsal, like we're running through songs, like yeah, 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 got it. And then the show came, and I started thinking about it too much. Oh And it's like, okay, no, I can't. Psych yourself. But halfway through, it's okay. I got to stop thinking about it and just go. Yeah. It was yeah. Because even like twist and shout, which is three chords mm-hmm. on bass there's you know you got to learn the part yeah yeah it, it's, it's totally you can't just different. jam that <laughs> yeah so that yeah, that's yeah what an opportunity there right yeah. it's just sort of right place right time and yeah yeah so what's your situation do you are you still playing with kelly now well i played my last show with her last august yeah uh that was the time when you know, Shania and Kelly started, they released their records together, basically. So they were yeah. both on a promo schedule. And of course, my role in, you know, Shania's camp is more music director. And, you know, in Kelly's camp, uh, you know, I'm a guitar player. So yeah. um, my my role with, with Shania is, was more important in that aspect. Yeah. And, and Kelly knows that. I mean, she appreciates her music director so much. Um, and knows the value of a, of a longstanding relationship. Yeah. And Shania and I just have so much history together um, on and off the stage. So yeah. um, they, they understood. And, and it was almost mutual because she was releasing her new record, which is very R&B based. And her first single didn't have any guitar whatsoever on it. Oh, yeah. So um, it just made more sense for me to, to do the Shania thing and, and for them not to have a guitar player for that song in that promo period. And, you know, it's now that I'm on a full on tour. Um, obviously they had to get someone to replace me. So I hope I can go back and play with those guys because, you know, I played with her for 12 years and it's my second family. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I totally understand if they have someone that's working well and I don't want to interrupt the flow of things, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll explore that after, you know, this tour is done and, 
Yeah. We'll see what happens. So you sat in Vegas for a while too with, with Shania. I did. How long was that? That was a two-year residency. Yeah. Um, it wasn't every month though. No. It was like 60 shows a year. So fairly easy pace. Um, didn't have to move there or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you're still able to work with Kelly at that time. I was yeah. actually a lot of it. A lot of the schedules were working out where I could jump on to, sh- on to Kelly and uh, then go back when the, the gigs with Shania were. Um, it worked out for a long time, but I think uh, it was just getting a little too difficult to maintain both. Yeah. Now you have a relationship with Line Six still. Obviously. I do. Yes. Yeah. So when did, how did that come about? Um, I mean, same guy. Uh, no, no. no. Um, on the first Shania tour, mm-hmm. um, I used the pod, yeah. the original kidney bean shaped pod, yeah, yeah, as my amp. In fact, you know, as simple as that sounds, I had a very complicated setup. I actually had a. Um, Oh no, the first tour I actually did use an app. It was a Fender app. The second tour I started getting into more uh, because I, I did know more Pro Tools at that time. I got a full on Pro Tools rig to plug all three of the fiddles in. So, you know, all three, uh, Allison, Roddy, and myself, we plugged yeah. into Pro Tools. I plugged my guitar into a pod, which went into Pro Tools and um, keyboards, I think. And it ran in ran with Simpty from the show computer and oh. muted our microphones when we weren't singing. Oh, yeah. Because we had these headset yeah. mics so we wouldn't get bleed, unnecessary bleed. Yeah. Um, actually, auto-tune would come on if there was a certain part where our fiddles were a little bit uh, oh, cool. clunky together. It would, yeah. Uh, so I was able to use everything that you would use in a studio setting of Pro Tools live. Yeah. And it would just run in tandem to the Simpty show computer. Oh, that's so it was, it was like a mission control. Yeah. And it so worked very well. you just used all well. your plugins and you got I used all the sounds. plugins, yeah. yep. Um, you know, so I go out of the pod into Pro Tools and I use all the, the Pro Tools plugins, the compression, reverbs and all that right yeah. within Pro Tools. So it was pretty cool. Oh, that's and smart. I did yeah. that for a lot of other tours, including a Kelly tour yeah. before. And now, now I don't do that as much uh, because it gets taxing on your gear. Oh, yeah. it, it costs a lot of money for the Pro Tools hardware, the cards and all that, and they get sh- shook around a lot. Yeah. Uh, and and plus the technology within the gear themselves, like the current version of the pod is called the the Helix. Yeah. And it's it's like mission control right within itself. There's so many matrix routing capabilities, effects, DSP power, uh, preamps and uh, plugins, and you know all within one box that you can carry on in in that backpack right there i'm pointing to you know i can carry that on my plane uh, on a plane ride as you know carry on and all that power is on your back you know you can carry it around from gig to gig so yeah i don't have to do that anymore but i still you know a lot of the stuff that we do is is automated you know like i said the midi changes are are all automated for my patches none of us have to hit pedals anymore including wah you know even when i play with toque yeah um you know i don't have to hit my wah pedal ever yeah, it just goes automatically. I, I put MIDI data in, and it plays along with the show computer, and yeah. it's so liberating to just be able to play. You know, it's neat with uh, on a much smaller scale, but kind of the same idea. And in, in, uh, our theater at home, when we do our family shows, because I'm we're not doing the family shows. I'm the tech guy, and I do all the lighting and and everything. And we don't have another guy, so I automate everything. Ah. so console lighting video 
and everything just runs off the show computer. Hmm. Drummer lets it go and away we go. Great. Yeah. And it's it's amazing what you can do. And which is so great. Same thing with you know, gear, muting stuff. You can do so much more mm-hmm. than you can just as a person. And then it's reliable because mm-hmm. it happens the same every single time. So once you get it, you get it in there. That's great. It's like, bam. A lot of people wouldn't know to do that. And that, that's great that you're that tech savvy. But yeah, you, you can literally, if the show is the same every night and, uh, you know, you can literally automate everything. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all in on that stuff. Save too. a lot I mean, of money. Yeah. It, like I said, it, yeah. it takes a while to, to get that in there. Mm-hmm. But when it's in, it's, you feel so much more liberated yeah. on stage because you don't have to worry about anything and everything is rolling and does its thing and, yep. and every hit's always the same and yeah, it, it feels really good. That's like awesome. It. Yeah. So what, what's your rig now? What are you using on the tour now? So I'm completely in the box. I don't mm-hmm. use a traditional guitar amplifier anymore. Um, however, so I'm using a Kemper profiling amplifier. Yeah, I got one. Great, right? Yeah. Uh, and then I use the Line 6 Helix as well. So yeah. I've got the best of both worlds. Uh, a lot of the effects from the Helix are going through the effects loop of the Kemper. Yeah. And then I also uh, split the signal right out of the wireless. So out of my guitar, the, the signal splits into two chains and the second chain the first chain is the camper yeah and it's mono so it goes to the front of house as just one input yeah the second chain goes to another uh bunch of uh they're not helixes they're the before the helix came out they're the pod pros or whatever they're called uh, rack mount units yeah. but there i will make the exact same sound as on the camper or as close to it as possible yeah and but dial out the direct signal so it's only effects. effects. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then and then those go to the sound man as a stereo pair. Yeah. And they can always stay 100% left and right. Yeah. So you never le- le- uh, lose the stereo imaging. Uh, he can pan the mono, the Kemper, any way he, wants. he wants. Yeah. And but you know when you do that with a stereo signal, you lose the whole stereo imaging. Yeah, yeah. That's um, smart because doing front of house, you know panning for me is everything and getting Mm -hmm. you know finding a spot for everything but especially with guitars and it's a studio trick too is always always have something going on the other side Mm -hmm. just to fill that little bit of a void even if you're you know little left or little right it it feels good there but you always need something right happening on the other side yeah yeah it's a smart move but i only do that in situations where there's competent people like sound men that yeah. know what's going on monitor people that can give me that feedback to me yeah so i can hear it and be consistent with you know when i do smaller shows like a toque show or something i'll i will do the stereo yeah. sort of thing because we don't have the same sound man every time so no. it's got to be easy for him and he has to understand what's going on and yeah so but yeah. and also I mean, room-wise, some rooms you just want to have a little bit more effect. Other rooms you want to dial that back just so the tone stays strong. Like your solid, right. you know, your yeah. your model tone is going to be the driver. But yep. some, you know, obviously arenas are always boomy, but sometimes you'll get outside or something and then yep. all of a sudden you're going to need something completely different. Totally. It gives them the freedom of if we're outside where there's no ambience at all, you can just... Yeah pin the effects and then it's you know compensate for the room you know i saw the show in vegas there and uh i I remember telling you that your guitar tones were stellar thanks yeah they were really really solid it's like it felt like just okay this this came right off the album those were all digital amps yeah Um, but i should say like the the great thing about the kemper uh profiling app is that i can actually 
set up all my real amps at home. So a matchless for country tones, you know, a Bogner for, uh, you know, a Bogner Marshall for those rock tones and then profile them into the, the camper. Yeah. T- and basically essentially take a snapshot of those sounds and then leave those amps at home and have the exact same sound, you know, on the gig. Yeah. And your amps aren't getting beat up. And they're not getting beat up. They, the no. tubes aren't getting old. The mics aren't moving night to night. Um, it's consistent every time you get the sound, exact yeah. sound that you set up the day that you profiled those amps. Well, that's awesome. It's fantastic. So there's another guitar player on the tour, right? Yes. Is he doing the same thing? Exactly the same thing. Yeah. I have to say that I, you know, was the influence on that. Yeah. He came wanting to play an amp. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I convinced him to, to do this. I said, it's good for the sound man. It's good for consistency. It's good because we can do the, the MIDI program changes to allow him to be free. It's harder to do that with a real amp yeah. unless you get like a MIDI, um, you know, effects loop yeah. that will turn your effects on and off for you. So, um, and after he heard the sounds, he's like, yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's hard to uh, to turn that down. It's it's really yeah. convenient. They've really come a long ways. Totally. Um, you got a young band. And young. Pretty, yeah. Yes. Good players. Yep, Josh is, uh, the other guitar player is, you know, mid-20s. Yeah. Uh, the drummer, she is 22 now, I think, 21. Yeah, and really good. And then you have me. I'm not going to tell you how yeah. old I am. <laughs> I know. But Alison Cornell actually is on this tour, and she was one of the original Shania Fiddlers. Yeah, I met I met her at NAMM once. Okay. Yeah, just yeah. said hello. So yeah. she's back for a reunion her a reunion tour. Oh, that's time. good. Yeah. So is she playing fiddle? Yep. Yeah. Well, is she playing fiddle? She's playing fiddle and almost everything else. Oh yeah. Uh she learned how to play trumpet for this tour. No way. And I I assumed that she could already play because she said oh, I'll I'll just play it. I said yeah. oh you pl- play trumpet. And she says no, but I used to play like French horn or something like that. I'm like oh it's the same thing. <laughs> she says no, <laughs> but you know I can I apply know. some of the techniques to it. Yeah. And so she got a trumpet and now she's playing trumpet live on one song nice and same as accordion she plays accordion she plays uh bass guitar on one song wow uh and of course her fiddle duties and she plays guitar yeah excellent <laughs> so what's your what's your schedule like now when you're on tour what's your typical day like when you're doing a show uh show day will be like arrive at the venue around three or four yeah. sound check at five five thirty eat some food yeah. Relax for an hour, pull out the hair dryer, put the moose in the hair. <laughs> and do it. Yep. And um, then do the show. So probably sound checks aren't that that long or no, do you, no, no. Everything like because everything is so consistent with yeah. the way everything's set up, we just make sure that stuff works. So we'll do half of one song and then half of another song. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure your front of house guy can do um virtual sound check. Yeah, pretty easily. Yeah, everything is every night is recorded. So he usually starts by playing the night before. Yeah, the tracks from the night before, and then um, especially when you guys are all campers and yeah, exactly. And all it's going to be really, exactly the same. Yeah, unless we make a mistake. You yeah, know? but the tones are going to be exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting seeing a show now because it's really taken a turn uh, with tours now, especially with the video, because it allows you to do so many more things mm-hmm. and it seems to be real i haven't seen the tour but uh a lot of tours lately i've been seeing it's such a driver i mean that video aspect 
just gives you another whole element to to work with. It really, does. but it's a lot more work too. It's a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of more pre production and getting right. that that whole thing together. But it it's, is. it's pretty cool. I really, yeah. I, think they, I mean, they had to figure out how to have Shania introduce a video montage and then walk seemingly into one of the cubes and appear inside the cube. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, as a silhouette. Yeah. And make that all look somewhat believable, you know? Yeah. There are times when I'm up on a cube as high as the lighting truss, you know, the very top of the arena, playing in a light suit that's wireless, you know, automated. It's flashing. In sync with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like it's pretty awesome. It's mind-boggling. It's all voodoo. I don't know how half the stuff happens, but you know, it's always awesome to be a part of it. Yeah, I do what I can where I can. You know, I'll program uh, in music for the in-between when she's changing clothes. Yeah, a lot of that stuff. I, you know, put that together, put that yeah. put it together exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, how long is this tour? Is it? Uh, we're gonna go of? till the end of December. Yeah. With a few breaks in there, and go to Europe and uh, Australia and then and New Zealand. Awesome! Mm-hmm. It's neat to see the sh- the show out again and and doing well and and uh, I think and it's great that just Canadian in the band, you know, it's a Canadian artist and doing so well and uh, I I think I I've always been a, a big fan of Shania and. And you know the shows have always been fantastic. Um, you know, you look back in the day, and remember you did the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. different things like that. I mean, you you look, and it's been neat uh, watching your progression. You know, from when I saw you when, when we were both much younger, <laughs> right? And seeing what you've been doing, it's really fantastic. Thank and, you. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I certainly promote you all the time. I say, hey, you got to check Corey, and, and my whole family's like that. And I, we, oh, always, awesome. we always check you. I know you were on the, I think it was Good Morning America not too long ago. Right. And, and uh, we were doing something. Anyways, we all, our offices are all at uh, at the house there. And, and we all got in. And we all sat around the TV and watched. Hey, there's Corey. We, were, mm-hmm. we didn't care about anything else. We just wanted to check and see. Hey, there's Corey. <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome. I well, it's, it's definitely, I don't take any of it for granted. And, you know. Uh, now, now I'm part of a, a band called Took. Yes, I Do you know about Took. Yeah, I've been following, following, but you tell everybody what that's all about. Well, so uh, me and two guys from Slash's band, like Slash from Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I've known the bass player for for Slash for since I've been like 13 years old. Yeah. When my family band would play at some hotels where there was a rock bar and a country bar, and he was playing in the rock rock band. Yeah. Uh, there, so we did a lot of partying early, and the and um, the drummer, his name's Brent Fitz. I didn't know, but he's from Winnipeg, yeah. another Canadian guy. He became friends with my brother because they all live in Vegas. Yeah, and my brother connected us, and he called me up one day and asked if I would do a cancer benefit in Winnipeg uh, with Todd and himself. Yeah, and we would hire um, a bass player. Todd would play guitar, and the bass player was Spider from um streetheart tom cochran yeah you know the legend yeah ken sinave and uh so we played this benefit and we had so much fun and and we we decided we would only play canadian classic rock tunes from the 70s and 80s yeah 
And so we learned uh, like two hours of, of, you know, working for the weekend and Brian Adams and um, Queen City Kids and Street Heart songs. Um, And we had so much fun with it. We did it again, uh, I think a couple years later, uh, along with some other gigs. And we, we would just joke like, we should do a record. Yeah. You know, because so many people like in our international fan community don't know these songs or these bands because they never went outside of Canada. Of course, everybody yeah. in Canada knows them as, as hits, you know, bonafide hits. Yeah. But the rest of the world doesn't know them. No. So let's redo these songs, which are perfect in their productions now. Just give them more of a modern mix and, uh, and redo them and introduce them to another, another audience. So we put out Took, our first Took album. Yeah. And the album is called Giver. So who, who came up with the name? Um, you know, I think, I think it was my wife or myself. Oh yeah. It's everybody, everybody just put in a lot of names. Uh, we did have, we were called cover boy for a while. Oh yeah. That's great. (laughs) That's a good one too. Um, I think two kids was another one that we were throwing around. Yeah. Um, anyway, two stuck. Yeah. Cause it was perfect for, cause we're only going to do these, these songs from Canada. Yeah. Celebrate the Canadian music. Um, so we put out our first record called Giver, and if anybody's seen the, uh, I mean, we're always celebrating Canadian heritage wherever we can, um, and it's the album cover for, have you seen the album cover for it? Yeah, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure I have. It's yeah. uh, our name yeah. in peed into a snowbank. <laughs> oh, no, I haven't seen that then, no. That's awesome. <laughs> Which is something every kid is, I mean, every boy has tried to do. Yeah, I've done that once. In or, Canada. Once or twice, or yeah. maybe four or five times. Now, uh, so, so we had our, our merchandise guy, you know, take the photograph and try to perfect peeing our name into the snow. <laughs> That's great. And uh, eventually he, he, he did a really good job of it, and we, that yeah. was our, our cover art. Oh, awesome. Um, now we have a new album that's yeah. just about to drop. Um, I mean, it's done. We just have to do the artwork and yeah. figure out our release strategy for it. Um, it's going to be called Volume Took. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and uh, we're trying to figure out what the artwork's going to be for that. Yeah. Don't know yet, um, but it'll come to us eventually. And when it's ready, we'll, we'll put it out. It's got a lot of great tunes on it. I think 13 songs. And we even have some Rush on there this time. Oh, nice. Which is not easy to reproduce, as people know. Um, and we just have so much fun. I just flew, actually, that's uh, last night from doing a Canada Day show in Vancouver from Toronto after doing a Hamilton show with Shania. I flew all the way there, d- uh, did the show, flew all the way back on a red eye, yeah. and here we are talking right now. Yeah, and you get back to the tour. Yeah, and then tomorrow we have a show in London, which is yeah. close to your stopping around, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's pretty close. Cool. Um, so what's, it must be neat doing your own project, right? Yes. Doing Took is, is something we definitely aren't making money at. Yeah. Uh, but it's a labor of love. You never do it at the beginning. No. And yeah. everybody that sees it, loves it. Yeah. We have so many people that just want to be a part of it just for the same reasons that we're doing it. Yeah. It's like, they love these old songs. They love everybody involved. And, uh, you know, most of them, they're all like professionals, on their own, you know, at what they do. Yeah. Right down, you know, to the uh, the merchandise guy who did the album cover work. And yeah. uh, our manager is very experienced. He's not getting paid much, but he's really into the project. And, um, and the sound people that are involved. 
uh, do it for very little money, if yeah. not for free, just because they love the songs. They yeah. love, you know, Todd's such a great singer. It's it's a joy to mix him as an as a mix engineer. And I just I get up there with those guys, and I'm beside myself because they're so awesome. Yeah, you know, it's it's a privilege to be a part of it. I bet. Yeah. So what's the uh, is you guys have putting together like a, a goal long term thing which you're where you want to do are you just letting it go as it and see what happens um we're just letting i mean we kind of can only do this when we're not all working yeah part of the the charm of what took is is that we're we're all successful international musicians and we're not just doing a cover band you no. know it's it's more of a celebration of all this stuff that we cut our teeth on as kids yeah. that helped to make us who we are in the international community now. Yeah. So, you know, part of the story is, is me playing with Shania. So if I can't make a gig, you know, it's okay because people understand, well, he's with Shania, you know, it's part of the story. Um, which is what happened the day before the Canada date show, I was in Hamilton. And so, um, the Jeff Neal, who's a guitar player for Streetheart, a legend. I mean, a guy that I would stand in line to, you know, for hours to get in the front row just to, to get his guitar pick or something. Yeah. Um, now he's subbing for me in Took because cool? he thinks it's such an awesome project. Yeah, and and it's a great thing for the audience. It's not like people are going, "Oh, Corey Jerk was not going to be there." Well, fucking, they're getting Jeff Neal. Yeah, what? That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, because there's probably you know a couple of really cool guys you could slip in and out. Yeah, it would be just awesome, and they'd be totally into that. Right. Yeah, and we're getting kudos from all these bands that we're covering. Yeah, you know, I just saw. Bill Henderson from Chilliwack yesterday at this candidate thing. Yeah. And where I, you know, I could actually have a, a real conversation with him. Uh, whereas before I'd probably just ask for his autograph, you know, yeah, yeah, just because of the, the legitimacy of this whole project. And exactly. And we covered my girl on the first record and, yeah. and uh, he acknowledged us, us on what a good job that we did through Facebook, which is everything to us. It's like, such a such a perk to get these our heroes these legends to to give us the thumbs up on you know recreating their songs there was uh i remember seeing you posted a must have been a rehearsal or, or in the studio when you guys were all kind of singing a cappella uh, was it my girl oh, it was my girl yeah, yeah. i thought so as soon as you said that it's like I, that popped in my head and that was so good thanks yeah i i think i played that back like five or six times and it's like oh i gotta hear that again (laughs) it was really vocals are so good oh thank you yeah yeah we we rehearsed that and uh everybody in the band sings very well and yeah that helps us to to do those kinds of songs or like go for soda which is like just all vocals yeah consider how many tracks of vocals there were back in those songs and it would have been just track after track after track it's stacked and stacked and yeah so you have a group that you know everyone could sing like that Mm -hmm. good and that must be pretty fun to sing it really is. Unless you have a crappy monitor for a show. Then like, be not like I did last night. <laughs> not going to lie. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. But we made it through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. I, I don't want to take a whole, whole bunch more of your time. Uh, how's, how's the best way to follow Corey Cherko? Same way. Everybody else does. Yeah. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah. Pretty much, uh, yeah, all the social media. You can follow Tuke at Tuke Rocks. Yeah. Uh, that's our our Instagram. You coming into Ontario at all with Tuke? 
Um, we played, where did we go? You were in Ottawa or something, right? I remember seeing. We played Ottawa. Yeah. Uh, Grey Cup. This year it's in Edmonton, so we'll be there for that. What was uh, that like? Uh, I got Since you were talking Grey Cup, you did yeah. the Grey Cup with Shania. Right. How was that? That was cold, right? That was. It like, was really cold. Yeah. And snowing. Yeah. So, um, I, my fingers were freezing uh, because they were getting all wet and yeah. the strings are so cold. And then the next song I had to play uh, keys, a uh, combination of keys back to acoustic guitar in the same song. And the keyboard was full of snow. So my fingers would get all wet and then I tried to play the acoustic and I literally could not feel my fingers by the end of the the, the set. It was, it was brutal. Wow. What was the one yeah. thing I was going to mention before we wrap it up? Uh, I know you're uh, you're a vegan, right? I am. Yeah. So how long you been a vegan? I've been vegan for the past five years, yeah. hardcore. Um, like for three months before those five years, I went to India, and I was vegetarian the whole time there. But I I had cheese and stuff there. Yeah. I justified it because I don't know the dairy practices there. I mean, the cows roam free; they're not being slaughtered. Yeah. But I don't know that. That's just how I made myself feel better. Yeah. Um, but before that, before I went there, I was vegan for probably four years, five years before that. So there was a little, little stint when I went to India. Um, but I've been vegetarian since 89. Oh, that's a long time. Yeah. So going back and forth between eggs, dairy, veganism, I think I, I was pescatarian for a year in that time as well. Yeah. And then went, you know, hardcore recently, recently I've been getting very much in, into it you know I, w- I went vegan not really knowing why I'm why it's a good thing and now there's yeah. just so many reasons to talk about it but people don't want to hear about it you know until they're ready but uh, I, I think it's a good thing I mean I think like anything I think some vegans get a bad rap sure because there are some how do you put it there's some vocal crappy vegans out there right who just don't make it look good for the rest of them right and then there are um and those are the ones that get hurt right unfortunately yeah Um, people see it as like a you know cultish kind of thing why are you always preaching to me um but the reason is and it's a good reason it's because the animals are the ones that are being victims every single day yeah and so um you know, if anybody if anybody saw a dog being abused on the street, they would step in. Yeah. If anybody saw a pig being abused on the street, they would step in. But because we're so disconnected from the process of our food, and because it's become so factory oriented that all these companies are on the stock market, so they have to make as much money as possible, and so they do whatever they can to do it, whether it's injecting with antibiotics or putting as many into a, a barn where they can't walk around or, you know, artificially inseminating cows so that they can produce more milk. Um, you know, all that stuff goes on and it's not right. And there's no, there's no argument against it. No. Pe- people will try to find one, but there really isn't. And people just say what they, they will just until they come around to figuring that out for themselves, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's tough because there's, there's not a good quick answer to all that. Right. Cause there's, there's a lot of people on this earth that mm-hmm. want their chicken wings, right? Exactly. Um, so, you know, it's not something that's easily, I don't know, you know, who knows will that ever sway one way or the other? Hopefully it does, but um, it's a population thing. It's such, you know. It's a culture. I mean, yeah. we're programmed yeah. that we're not going to be healthy as kids. 
you know, I have a lot of friends who have kids that just feed them meat because they're so uncertain about, well, I can't give them soy because, you know, there's bad stuff about soy. And I understand they want their kids to be as healthy as possible. Yeah. But it's simply a lot of it is is not true what we learn yeah. about protein, about being healthy. The truth is, you know, in the old days, maybe we had to eat meat to survive. Yeah. But we certainly don't have to now. No. Maybe, maybe some people in northern Canada have to do it. Um, but most people don't live in Northern Canada. So no. what's, what's their excuse? You know, yeah. uh, we live in a world where we can do, we can thrive and, and it's healthier to be vegan. So why not do it? Yeah. And now it's, it's probably much easier for you touring now, uh, uh to, to be in that lifestyle because there's just so much more available. There is, um, it, you know, it's popping up everywhere. Of course, mm-hmm. Shania is vegetarian. Yeah. So when we have catering, there's always a vegan option or two. Yeah. So I never have problems eating. These bigger cities are, fa- Toronto is fantastic for yeah. for all the food that you can find as a vegan. Vancouver's the same. LA's a Mecca. New York's a Mecca. It, it's, and London's a Mecca. Like the UK is, it's, it's expanding so much, the whole vegan movement. And it's not a tr- fad. It's not a trend. It's, it's a moral thing, yeah. you know. It just happens that that the diet of it and the nutrition of it is beneficial as a side effect. But, yeah. but really, it's about not abusing animals. And really, you got to feel much better, right? Yeah. And I mean, people sure say, you- well, you, you might thrive if you eat a piece of meat. I don't know how to judge what it is to thrive, but I'm, you know, almost 50 years old. And hiking and just, you know, I, I guess I compare myself to other people in my age yeah. category. And that's, that's my way of saying, figuring out if I'm thriving or not. But, you know, I feel great. Yeah. It's especially amazing. touring with schedules and everything. It's, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, I mentioned on the last, last podcast with, uh, with Jim Witter, cause he, uh, he had a heart attack. Uh, oh, really? And, uh, he's had to change his diet. And on my last tour that I was out on, I I changed my diet quite a bit on, and I was just, because I was feeling crappy, hmm. you know? And it was just, you know, just really starting to eat much healthier and getting more of those greens and getting more of those vegetables. And and it really makes you feel so much better, especially on the road. Because mm-hmm. uh, you just, mm-hmm. it's so easy to grab a McDonald's or it's so right. easy to grab something that's, you know, when you get back from a gig, it's late lots of time. That's the only thing that's open. Yeah, it's hard right. to find healthy options at night at mm-hmm. one in the morning or two in the morning. Or mm-hmm. you're lucky living in LA, you have a lot of options. Um, there are there's some really cool, you know, just even have we have Whole Foods here, but it's not quite the same. And um, right. just their options are much healthier and you have mm-hmm. you know i just like just that alone is like oh, i wish i lived in california <laughs> this is the yeah is- i mean there's a certain amount of planning that you will learn yeah when you go vegan but really you don't have to change anything you just have to stop eating meat yeah there's there's enough protein in in everything else that that a non-vegan would eat you'll be just fine yeah the whole protein thing is a bit of a myth and it's it's something that's been brought in by these factory farms to get you to consume more and they can make more money. Yeah. And I can say that, you know, as a truth, because I've experienced that I haven't eaten meat since 89, you know? Yeah. So 
how am I living? They say that your, your, your cells change every seven years, like a complete, you know, your cells die and you're, you're a whole new person every seven right. years. Yeah. So if I didn't have enough protein, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. You know? Oh, for sure. So, um, yeah. So it, it, there's, there's no reason to eat meat. People, we use a lot of different excuses. Um, but you, you know, we're just so disconnected from the food that we eat. Yeah. We don't really realize what is going on out there. Yeah. Exactly. And, and we don't want to know. No. And I, I was that way too. I mean, I was, I grew up doing nothing but chugging, you know, two liters of milk with a rotisserie chicken from the grocery store and, you know, like caveman style sitting, watching Magnum PI. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> all the good old days, you know, and, and I was doing it in those days, you know, trying to gain weight, but little did I know I was on the Atkins diet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> without knowing it. And I wasn't gaining any weight at all. But, uh, it's funny. You should ask about this whole vegan thing because tomorrow, uh, we are actually stopping on the way to our London show yeah. on the tour bus yeah. to go visit the, um, Happily Ever Esther Farm Sanctuary, which is where Esther the Wonder Pig lives. Oh, no way. I don't know if you've heard of Esther the Wonder Pig. No. Okay, so this couple, um, I, I'm assuming they lived in Toronto or somewhere, Yeah. Uh, had dogs, and someone asked them, would you like to adopt a miniature pig? Yeah. And they said, that would be awesome. You know, a pot-bellied pig, they've heard that they make great pets, and they're smart and everything, and yeah. trainable. So they got this pig and it was just, her, they named her Esther and she was such a joy. They fell in love with her, took her to the vet, just, you know, everything that the dogs did. And they realized she was getting a lot bigger. And the vet said, she's not a miniature pig. <laughs> she's a freaking commercial pig. Yeah. And she grew to 650 pounds. Wow. And they had her as long as they could yeah. in the apartment and realized, well, we can't give her up. Yeah. She's a part of the family. What are we going to do? So they did a, uh, a GoFundMe type thing on the internet yeah. to raise money to get a farm. Oh, way. And they, they made the, the goal, bought this farm, moved out there, and now Esther lives on this sanctuary where other animals now uh, are brought, cows, donkeys, horses, yeah. goats, chickens, turkeys, and they, they live in this, this sanctuary there. How cool is that? Yeah, so we're going to go there and, and check that out. see the animals. Yeah, yeah you probably oh, pass cool. it on the way home. Yeah. It's in Campbellville. Okay, yeah, I know exactly where that is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll check it out. Yeah, so yeah. their whole life changed. One guy was a realtor, and I forget what the other guy did. Yeah. And their whole life changed because of this pig that they could not get out of their lives because they fell in love with her. Wow, that's, yeah. fa that's fantastic. So when, and, and of course, once they made that connection yeah. to pigs and bacon and the, that fact that they could never eat Esther, yeah, they went plant based completely. Yeah, that's perfect. Yep. Well, cool. cool. Uh, I respect uh, all of that. And I think it's fantastic, and it's good to talk about it. I think it's important. Thanks um, for bringing it up. Yeah, uh, it's Corey Cherko, and uh, super glad that you took your time. And uh, I know you're in a busy schedule, and and uh, I'm glad I had the time to come up and do it <laughs> right. too. And uh, we should do it again. And uh, and next time you're through and we'll catch up some Absolutely. more. Absolutely. Good luck with Tuke. I think that's that's really awesome. And and I look forward to uh seeing Tuke when you're in the area or if hopefully I'll be able to go somewhere and see it. Absolutely. Maybe you'll you can sit in one time. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. I mean it's our goal to to have people come and sit with us and oh, yeah. and have celebrities guests get up and play and 
and sort of make it like a Ringo and Friends type thing. Yeah, know? I love to. That's another yeah. show I've been. Well, thanks for having me, Darren. I appreciate no it. No problem. All right, goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Uh-huh.